0: Welcome to Mad Dogs and Englishman on a glorious early spring day in New York City, in which Charlie and I are cooped up, of course, here inside Buckley Towers in our rabbit warren of dungeon-like, torch-lit offices. And, you know, one of the things that always bugs me, Charlie, is that every time there's some horrific crime involving firearms is that, you know, you'll see the Brady campaign and all the rest of these people rush out before the, you know, bodies are even cold, before the blood's even dried, and they start sending out the emails and holding press conferences and all this stuff about, see, here's the thing, this proves why we're right and we need to get what we want in the, in the world. And there was a little bit of that, I think, from our side today with this horrible knife attack at the school outside of Pittsburgh, in which, I guess, 19 people were stabbed. 20, yeah. Was it 20? And uh, so you had a lot of people who have the sort of views that you and I have on guns and things like that, and it was sort of, yeah, yeah, do you want to come out for knife control? Do you want to get rid of everyone's, you know, paring knives in their kitchens and all that sort of stuff? And I think this is, A, ghoulish and distasteful, but, B, a little bit intellectually dishonest of course as well and and granted there's a tremendous amount of intellectual dishonesty on the other side in the gun control debate but you know to pretend like guns and knives are roughly interchangeable in terms of how dangerous they are in terms of the impact of using them in a mass attack like this is just simply not reflective of reality and even though maybe it's not always convenient for us in terms of the arguments we want to put forward conservatives first duty should always be toward
1: reality don't you think Yes, and although it was only the rank and file, it is disappointing to see even somebody who I would hope had learned uh, earned his stripes, such as myself, in the gun control debate on the practical arguments and the philosophical arguments on the legal arguments and on the historical arguments, I come down against the gun control movement on every single question, not because I am in any way beholden to an ideology on this. Uh, In fact, I came from pretty much the other side. But because that is how I see the data, I sound like Well, there's that
0: $10,000 a week stipend we get from the NRA. Right.
1: You know, I am I am an ideologue. Everyone is an ideologue. That is how we behave as human beings. But on this one, I really went through a conversion. So in some regards, I think I'm possibly sort of well placed to criticize the right on this and the argument that well, maybe we should ban knives is silly for a number of reasons them. Um, firstly, in a vacuum, it is not ridiculous for somebody to say, I think that there should be very little knife control, but uh, a lot of gun control. Now, You have to remove all of the philosophical arguments about individual liberty. You have to remove the cultural arguments. You know, America does have a Second Amendment. Therefore, any discussion of gun control has to take that into account. It has a gun culture. You have to remove the legal arguments. You cannot take away the guns from Americans. And you have to take away the economic arguments that there are 300 million of them. But in a vacuum it is not ridiculous to have a different attitude towards knives than it is, for example, towards semi-automatic handguns. And to pretend, and I've seen a lot of this, I'm afraid, on Twitter from the right today, to pretend, well, it just completely depends whose hands it's in. Or, you know, well, no, a knife can be just as dangerous as a gun. Yeah, it can. There are certain circumstances. One guy rather amusingly said that there's not much difference when you're in an elevator. Like, okay, I'll give you that. But Ceteris Paribus in an average enclosed space or not an enclosed space for that matter you're going to be a lot more effective if you're trying to kill people with a firearm than you are with a knife so let's just come out and say it like i always say to people on the right don't pretend that guns aren't designed to kill people they are they're much more effective than knives so that's that's really the first point Um, Now, does that mean that the gun control movement is right on the general question of whether guns themselves are responsible for school shootings? Of course not. We live in a country with 350 million guns at the least. I think that's 350 million privately owned guns. Just to put this into context, the left likes to talk about Britain and the British handgun ban, and there hasn't been many uh, shootings since. There has actually been a big one, but the general statistics are a lot lower. But when the uh, British government banned handguns in 1996 they collected about 104, uh, sorry, 156,000 of them that was the total number there are 114 million handguns in the United States in private hands You know, we're just talking about two very different circumstances so if you look at a school shooting, if you look at mall shootings if you look at shootings in places of worship and so on you just have to accept that people are going to get their hands on it and I think the strong conservative argument says that the problem that we have here is the school part of the school shooting. It's the massacre part of the gun massacre because we already have these tools at our disposal. It's no point pretending that there's no difference between a gun and a knife.
0: As we were discussing this morning, of course, the worst school massacre in American history didn't involve guns or knives, uh, involved bombs. Uh, and this happened, I guess, back in the uh, 1920s or 30s, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, quite some time back. But uh, still, you know, the deadliest uh, school attack we've had. I think it's important for us, though, to, um, I mean, not just because we want to uphold certain intellectual traditions and engage our uh, opponents on their strong arguments rather than on on sort of weak ones, but um, particularly on the issue of gun control, it's important, I think, to make the case that while the other side's arguments are wrong, they're not indefensible. They're not things that should just be rejected out of hand as being just, you know just being on the face of them uh, bad, you know, because we do have, in our country, a significant problem with violence of various kinds. Now, it's, obviously, it's not just gun violence, you compare the United States to a place like Switzerland or even the UK on a, you know, per capita racist, per capita basis, thinking about John Chape there and the <laughs> racism stuff we were talking about, on a per capita basis, uh, we see a lot more you know, knife murders. We see a lot more people being beaten to death with fists. And we also see more things like uh, car accidents and things like that, other sorts of um, of things that speak more, I think, to uh, cultural differences between the United States and other places. And the one thing that we always look at, I don't know you and I, is the uh, interesting case of Switzerland, right. which not only has guns everywhere but has fully automatic weapons yes. just everywhere because the Swiss run on a militia system and uh And lots and lots of people have machine guns at home or uh or fully automatic rifles and I think the last time I looked um to had something like seven murders a year, something like that um and that's and that's overall, you know they've got lots of knives and stuff too. so there's a particular weird cultural thing going on in the United States that we don't understand, which is this desire to
1: commit these spectacular mass atrocities right. I mean it, it, clearly as Eddie Izzard, who is a, is an anti-gun guy but is extremely funny says the gun helps yeah you know, if you want to if you want to do over your classroom then the gun is going to help but the the point here is that the root of this is cultural uh, Switzerland is full of fully automatic weapons as you say but there is no culture of violence in in quite this way now in the united states the the problem with pointing out that the gun helps is that that may very well be true, but there's absolutely nothing you can do about it now. That ship has sailed. It was interesting watching, I think there was an Anderson Cooper edition with Emily Miller of the Washington Times, who's a big pro-Second Amendment convert, like myself, actually. Um, but also Andrew Sullivan uh, and Bill Crystal both sitting and agreeing with one another on this question that that ship has just sailed. And Andrew Sullivan said, well, I just wish that Second Amendment types would Accept out loud that there is a cost to that well i'm one, so Andrew, I doubt you listen, but if you do, there is a cost to that uh, there's a cost to reality yeah. and uh, and you know, but while we're all arguing over that point, and I must say again, I really think conservatives have it right on this, but while we 're arguing over that point, we could presumably agree that trying to work out what it is that is causing American children to walk into their classrooms and try to kill everybody might be a good use of our time, because, you know, it was a knife today. In other circumstances, it will be a gun, but it's been a bomb before, and if not, it would be poison. You know, people want to kill people, and they will.
0: And we've had, you know, multiple homicides committed with cars and things like that. I think the issue here is that if you think guns are the problem, then every time you see something like, well, not today's episode, but one of these mass shootings happen. You take that as automatic evidence for the position you already hold, which is a gun's your problem. Which you know, in the uh, in the world of rhetoric and logic, is known as confirmation bias. Um, our dear friend and uh, brilliant writer uh, Yuval had a uh, piece today, at National Review, on that very subject of confirmation bias, which I know you had some things to say about. In the uh, context of Ezra Klein and Box and the uh, healthcare debate and all that, so what were your thoughts there?
1: Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever read anything that Yuval has written that wasn't absolutely sparkling. Yeah, he's he's terrific. I mean, he really is one of the most clear and clear-minded writers, and and today's contribution was no exception. And to to boil it down, Yuval's basic point was that. Anybody who sets up a website that is ostensibly going to deliver the news in a clear and objective manner cannot do so. Not because he is necessarily a hack or a liar, although I do think there is some of that involved here.
0: There's, there's a bit of hackery <laughs> in the world, yeah, sure.
1: But because the problems that politics and the Constitution of the United States uh, and Congress and National Review and so forth are set up to try to solve or at least to uh, participate in um, do not stem from a great misunderstanding. They stem from fundamentally different ways of seeing the world and different ways of sorting values and, and ascribing values to data. And, and he takes issue with Ezra Klein's 12,000 word I think uh, mission statement uh, or inaugural essay on Vox uh, in which Klein said that the problem with well he said many things many of which were wholly contradictory but his basic message was that the problem in America is that people just don't understand enough and that we need to change our political systems so that those that lack of understanding doesn't lead to say gridlock um, and klein was was also suggesting inexplicably that the United States Constitution is predicated upon the idea that the problem in politics is misunderstanding, and what Yuval says quite rightly in my view is no, the United States Constitution is predicated upon the idea that because we can never know the truth and never will and we'll always fight over it power should be fractured as much as is possible and you've and and Yuval draws a, a distinction between um, what you know the different epistemological m- means by which the right and the left understand politics and he says the right by and large thinks that information and talent and power is distributed around the country and around people and institutions and and so forth and therefore that the role of government is to sort of facilitate that so that civil society can, can flourish and that we will never be able to know what the truth is or come to it in any way that would justify wholesale government action from the centre and that the left thinks that no, social science can tell us the answers to all of our big problems and therefore government can act according to what we've discovered. Anyhow, I what? just want to
0: say, when you start having a conversation about epistemological uncertainty, that's just a cheap bid for links and page views, and just trying to sell advertising, and I will not be a
1: party to it. <laughs> I know, I'm I mean, going to make that the headline of this podcast, because I know how excited everyone gets at the prospect. But no, and and I think uh, Yuval Levin is, as usual, making a, a fabulous point, which is ultimately that you cannot set up a site like Vox without selling an ideology whether you mean to or not i mean we all do it on a day-to-day basis my problem with ezra klein and i've written this on the corner repeatedly and and sometimes if i'm honest a little rudely because he does frustrate me immensely is that he cheats in Jonah's word yeah he cheats by pretending that one side is ideological and only non-ideological rather and only interested in the data and uh, is mathematical and dispassionate and objective, and the other is driven by either inadvertent ignorance or willful ignorance, um, or emotion or commitment to some sort of ideological and historical framework that doesn't uh, stand up to scrutiny. And my view of Ezra Klein has always been that he's a very hard-working, left-of-center, proto-wonky sort of guy, who is totally and utterly blissfully even unaware that he subscribes to an ideology of his own
0: yeah and the the irony about this is that these these folks who claim to be post ideological don 't understand their own ideological their own ideology well enough to get that um it has very easily identified philosophical forebears. He's being, you know, the sort of Bismarckian idea of rational social management, which later came to us as a variant of Marxism that was known as scientific socialism, this idea that human relations are essentially something like a mathematical equation that if you can just figure out what the variables are, you can make it come out any way you want it to. And, of course, human beings aren't like that. We get this a lot with, um, you know, when you talk about things like, uh, oh, you know, you'll get arguments where people say, well, as someone who has had X, Y, and Z experience, I disagree with you about this policy, uh, which ultimately comes down to saying if you had my point of view, you would have my point of view, which, okay, yeah, that's that's tautologically true. Uh, what it doesn't get is that people actually have competing values hmm. and such, and we and we run into this a lot with the left, and the sort of um, not entirely accurate but, but fairly general version of that is that there is there are trade offs between things like freedom and equality of, of socioeconomic outcomes. And there's there are trade offs between things like freedom and uh, and stability, uh, in, in some in some regards. And there's no data driven answer to which one of those you're going to prefer because some people prefer this and some people prefer that.
1: Right, and a great example of this today, and not, not to pick on the weakest of Vox's output, I understand you're supposed to take on the, the best of their arguments, but this just to me crystallized it, which is why I bring it up. Today, Vox put out a chart which Ezra Klein linked to and uh, under the auspices of this is the only chart that you need to see to explain why single pair is a great thing. Okay? Right. And this chart compared how much money an American doctor spends dealing with insurance companies compared to how much money a Canadian doctor in one province spends dealing with insurance <laughs> companies. And uh, I'm mathematically um, uh, mathematical amnesiac, so forgive me, but I think it was about four times the amount. For the American doctor,
0: surprised it's not more.
1: Now, that is all well and good. If your question is how much do doctors in relative various systems spend uh, dealing with insurance companies?
0: Oh, it could as easily be an argument for tort reform.
1: Sure, it could be an argument for anything. But that is in itself making a value judgment. I mean, but just just the very act of putting out that graph makes a value judgment. I mean, sure. for example, I could say. And probably would that a certain amount of insurance bureaucracy is worth the benefits that come with a fully privatized healthcare system not to not to indulge in what you said my experience but having experienced both I could make that judgment we do it every day this is Mm -hmm. how human beings behave it's not that's not to say I'm right to make that judgment but I could say for example callous as it might sound, that a certain amount of uh, death and injury in the United States is worth the capacity for individuals to be able to protect themselves and maintain an ultimate check against government. You can't, uh, this is not a word, but you can't mathematize that. That's a value judgment, yeah. ultimately.
0: And of course, and we get this you know, particular dumb species of rhetoric which is designed to entirely foreclose even having that debate which is if it saves even one child's life uh, there are always two sides to every equation again not that this, this is a <laughs> mathematical equation we keep our tripping over ourselves here but um you know there are lots of things you could do that might save one child's life somewhere you don't know if two orders away from that it might you know cost 20 children's lives um, you but know, you
1: also, even if you were presented with the capacity to save that child's life, you might dismiss the entire equation and say, yes, but I believe in human liberty, for example, right. or yes, but I don't believe that people should have to move or no, but I don't believe that America can sustain more immigration, whatever it is. You, you always have competing interests.
0: Right. I mean, it's, it's like saying that, you know, I'm in favor of alcohol being legal and I'm in favor of driving being legal. And I have to accept as a reality, as a consequence of those two positions, that drunk driving is going to happen and that people are going to get hurt and maimed and killed because of it. That doesn't mean you're in favor of drunk driving. It means you're not in favor of banning alcohol or cars or both. And you don't get to just disaggregate these things, however, is convenient and suitable to your particular policy positions.
1: No, but if if the philosophical, non-mathematical parts of the question were removed, then you would very quickly ban alcohol in the United States. I mean, there is no there is no question in my mind that if you were just looking at alcohol as a cost benefit proposition from the perspective of the government mm. or of the public good, then you would try and destroy it.
0: Yeah, it's hard to make a very good consequentialist argument for booze, um, even though you know obviously you and I both uh, think it should be legal. Of course. And, uh, and maybe occasionally even plentiful, but uh, that's another issue. So epistemological uncertainty and other philosophical subjects. Tomorrow can we go back to talking about neo-Nazi German porn stars because, you know, I think we need to put some more slightly titillating material out there.
1: Yeah, I think we might be, might be losing followers every <laughs> this.
0: All right, and there c- concludes today's graduate seminar in uh, stuff that Charlie and Kevin worry about at this particular time in the afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Talk to you tomorrow.